We are in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, and, um, and this chapter is an amazing chapter, and I hope you'll see it. We've, we've made our way pretty quickly through chapter 6 and chapter 7, uh, but we're about to pump the brakes a little bit. We're not going to take chapter 8 in its entirety. Uh, we are going to break it down into a few pieces, um, more than likely three, three messages over the, the next today and two more Sundays. But in chapter 7, we just had a sermon last week called Me, Myself, and I, where we saw Paul writing about his frustration with his inner self and his old self and this kind of internal warfare that was going on between the Holy Spirit and himself, his, his fleshly desires. And we saw, I can't remember, it was 30 some Me, Myself, and I's combined in just 12 verses. And so we get to chapter 8, and it's almost like uh, it's a bit of a, a contrast, where he immediately turns to just list me, myself, and I, and all the challenges and struggles with himself, uh, to where we have here in chapter 8, uh, depending on the translation you read, 18 to 20 references to the Holy Spirit. The most in any one chapter that Paul wrote in the entire New Testament, chapter 8, references the Holy Spirit. Number 2 is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which mentions the Spirit, Holy Spirit 12 times. In the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul only mentioned the Holy Spirit five times. So we come to chapter 8, and we have it 20 times. All right? So we're about to go on a ride with the Holy Spirit. Paul is about to share with the church at Rome that although I've had these struggles, though I battle with myself, there is something, not something, someone inside of me that gives me a route to victory. That he may have, at this point, left at the end of chapter 7 feeling like, man, this is a struggle. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. And he begins chapter 8 with strong words um, that we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, we find the Holy Spirit arrives in the Bible in the second verse in Genesis chapter 1. When it says the earth was just a void and it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We find in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit uh, gave Joseph wisdom and discernment before Pharaoh. That it set Joshua apart as Moses' successor. That it, that it opened Balaam's eyes to truth. We know that Jesus promised the spirit of truth, that he would send, that he would ask the Father to send someone as his replacement when he, was ascend, when he ascended into heaven. He promised it would be the spirit of truth, a helper, an advocate, that it would teach us all things, that it would remind us all the things that he had said, that it would reveal the things to come. And then we see at Pentecost in the book of Acts, this dynamic change in the history of the world and God's relationship with humanity. Whereas all in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on occasion to individuals and prophets. And sometimes for only a time and then would leave. 
that when God birthed his church through Jesus Christ and through the apostles, that it changed, that all of a sudden every believer would have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. This is pretty significant. You know, there's probably, uh, I cannot teach you everything about the Holy Spirit because I'm still learning. I definitely couldn't do it in one message. But I think it, seeing it this t- mentioned this many times in one passage of Scripture, I feel like it's a good place to start and just say, wait, let's get some foundational understanding of who, what is this Spirit? Who is this? Um, and, and so I've been reading this book. I can't remember who got it for me. Uh, Holy Fire. Anybody in here get this for me? <laughs> Somebody in our church family got this for me, left it. I think at the market, maybe. I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but I've been reading it. And, um, and, and it's written by R.T. Kendall. Anybody ever heard of R.T. Kendall? Yeah, so he, he, he's originally from Ashland area. Ended up uh, becoming the pastor, 25-year pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, uh, England. Pretty significant story, and he kind of just, this is a, it's a whole book on the Holy Spirit. He's got a chapter that says 21 things every Christian should know about the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I'm not going to read all those, don't take all these notes down, but I just want to share a few. First, I want to read a passage of Scripture of exactly Jesus' words uh, in John 14, verses 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Those are Jesus' words. Here's some truths, some things that we should know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is God. He's part of the Trinity. We have one God and three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us that. The Holy Spirit is a person. You heard Jesus refer. He did not say, it will be here, or you will have this. It will, it's not just an attitude. You will not have this influencer. It says, he and him will live in you. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is eternal, according to Hebrews 9.14. We find him at the beginning. He has always been and will always be the Holy Spirit using people wrote the Bible, Second Peter, one twenty one. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, verse John chapter fourteen verse twenty six. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians four thirty says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed into the day of redemption." That means to make you can make the Holy Spirit sad. The very next verse says, "Put away all bitterness." And anger. Paul's saying, listen, if you've got bitterness and anger in your life, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And you're going to lose this closeness that I talked about earlier. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. Do not quench the Spirit. That is worse than grieving it. It is literally uh, turning against what it has for you in your life and, and just ignoring its call for you, his call for you. The Holy Spirit will be the one who convicts. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's John 16, 8. John 16, 13 says, He will guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will be our guide. In chapter 8, we find the power 
of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Here in Romans chapter 8. We're going to take really four thoughts from this chapter. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the new life that we have. Uh, We might get to the new family. Spend just a moment there. Uh, Next week we're going to do the new hope that we have. And then to end chapter 8, we're going to do the newest, the return of the Jedi. Okay. You know, the new hope. Right? Who's Star Wars fan? No, we're not doing the return of the Jedi. We're doing the new assurance at the end. Because I want to read you the last verse that's the title of this little mini-series within a series of Romans chapter 8. Let me read you these last words so you can know where we're going. In verse 37, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us, through Jesus Christ. And we have the Spirit in our life. So let's talk about it. Let's look at 8, chapter 8, verse 1. You know what I'm going to do? If you've got your Bibles with you, I don't have all 17 verses on the screen. I'm going to read through them. It's uh, it's important for you to hear. If you've got them... uh, on an app, a real Bible, you can look and read along with me, and then we'll take a few verses out of there as we teach this, what God has in my heart this morning. So starting in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. It set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. You getting that connect back to me? By grace, you, there is no condemnation when you're in Christ. You are, you are not adopted into God's family to live in fear. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. It's a lot of verses. There's a lot packed in there. This morning we're talking about the new life in Christ. You can imagine this first verse. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to just imagine, we've talked a lot about justification, what happens when a believer gets saved, and we put our faith in Christ, how immediately the penalty of sin is erased. That immediately we have hope of heaven and eternity, and, and we're seen as righteous in heaven. So I, I want you to try to imagine for a minute what this would have meant for uh, the Jewish believers who had lived their whole life scared every day, wondering... If they might make it to heaven, had they done enough good that day? Had they accidentally carried something wrong on the Sabbath and carried too much weight? Had they accidentally eaten the wrong thing? All these, this, this, this idea that it starts out in Romans that says when we are lost, we are on death row, if you will. We are dying. We are sinful. We've, we've rebelled against God, and the punishment of that is death. And you think of somebody that is on death row. In prison, guilty, headed for the death penalty. And if that were you, and you knew you were guilty, and yet at one day, somebody says, not guilty, let him or her go free. Let them go free. I want you to think in a moment what that means for us believers, that we were once in bondage and, and we were just every day was closer to death, right? We were like on death row. And how joyous you would be to know I'm not getting what I deserve. I've got this newfound life, this newfound hope, this newfound energy, this like I'm going to go live it to my fullest. And I think that is what, Paul is talking about here. He says, now there is now, now that Jesus Christ is here and he has done this work and you have believed, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Real quick review, because when we're in Christ, we have his righteousness that he lived. We uh, have his death, so that the wages of our sin were death, but his death gets counted toward that. And in his resurrection, we have new life. We have this uh, rental house beside our house, and uh, occasionally it'll, it'll go some time and be vacant. And you all know what happens to rental houses when they're vacant, right? They just slowly uh, run down. The grass grows up sometimes, and, and it, begins, uh, it begins to uh, look in disarray and disrepair and, uh, and becomes a bit of an eyesore. And this, this last people that moved in, I remember when they first moved in, and it had gone vacant a pretty good while, and the landlord had been over there, and they'd done some work on it, but it looked pretty rough. But there was something that happened when those people moved in. When the new tenants moved in, 
all of a sudden we started to see the landscaping get cleaned up. We started to see the yard. It was mowed every week. They put nice furniture and these little cute lanterns that Bethany loved on the porch and lights on the back porch. And we find in these scriptures that the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in a believer. And that when that happens, things begin to change. Things begin to look different. It, is, it was totally obvious to us when we looked over there and we went, somebody is living in that house. So should be for every believer. That once our faith has been put in Christ, that others should look and say, who moved in? <laughs> who is that person? What has happened there? All of a sudden, their life looks different. Their choices look different. Their passions look different. They're, 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 they're kind. They're not bitter. They're like these things, they, they go through these tests and trials with this level of joy that doesn't make sense, that it should be so obvious that the Holy Spirit has moved in and taken residence. So when we get this new life, this is what I want you to think about, and this is just kind of an illustration we'll use as we go through this. Let's read these verses in Romans 8 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Then in 12 through 13, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. The Spirit's at work, but we, the believers, still have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Y'all ever been to a restaurant or a store and you know, you've been going there for some time and, uh, or you never go there because people say it's awful? Yes? No? My shoes untied. I'm going to trip up here preaching. That'd be something. And then all of a sudden, there comes up this sign that says, you know, someone, uh, they've either hired a new manager or a new owner, and, and this sign comes up, and it says, under new management. Right? Y'all have seen that sign, right, out front? That's that, that, that business saying, you know what? We weren't doing so great. But we want to give you some indication that things have changed. And so I believe that we can take that thought just for a minute. And the life of a believer, when we get saved and the Holy Spirit takes up residence, we see in this verse that we are led by the Spirit. We see that by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body. So I want you to just sit with me a moment and think about your life. I want you to think really, for real, God is living inside of you. That sometimes we say that, but we don't know how to own it. And we say, yeah, God's inside of me. I got the Holy Spirit. And then we get to Monday, and we make our list, and we do our thing, and we try as hard as we can, right, of our own abilities. But I want you to just sit for a minute and just listen to these things that God's put in my heart. That what it means when a believer has this new life and is put under new 
management. We now have a new leader. Whereas before we were controlled, compelled, consumed by the world. That, that was the most attractive thing to us. That our selfish desires had complete control. That we were a slave to sinfulness. That now inside of us, we have a new leader. Someone leading us. In that leadership... This person begins to cast a new vision. For your life. This is a role of the Holy Spirit. Begins to reveal a peace at a time. This divine purpose for each and every believer. You're under new management. You've got somebody else. You've got somebody speaking to you. And this somebody is not just somebody that worked the politics to get the job like happens sometimes at workplaces. This is your creator that begins to make you different. Begins to make us desire things that God has made us different for. That you sense it internally. That we all of a sudden desire righteousness. We may not always get there and we'll get distracted and we'll make mistakes, but in and of and most Times and a majority of the time, we will want to do what's right. All of a sudden, we will just be a hungry for God's plan for our life and not our own. Now, we'll make some plans, and that's not bad. But we better make them knowing and trusting that God's going to direct the steps, right? That we can make these plans. And even when they said, you know, these, these, these group of merchants said they're going to go to this town, they're buying, selling, get gain. And all they said was like, hey, that's, that's all good and well, but you better do it within the context of if it is God's will. If we lay everything under him and under his umbrella and realize that our plans no longer are the most important. And we begin to die to what we just dreamed of for ourselves, what we wanted for ourselves. And then really what we want the most is just to serve Christ and see what his plan is for us. Under new management, we have this person that begins to teach us. Teach us things through the Spirit. It says the Spirit will teach you things. Do you believe there are times that when you're reading your Bible, when you're close to God, that the Spirit will reveal to you insights into this Word that you can't get in seminary, you can't get off Google, you can't get out of outline books. I got all kinds of commentaries. I got all kinds of outlines, and I got all kinds of lights flashing. The Spirit is here. But there are things that in the Scripture, in the Word, that the Holy Spirit can reveal to you. I read all those things every week, and then I get this sense of, of God saying, here's something I want you to say. 
Here's something specific out of all this that you've read that is different. That he can teach us. That he trains us. That he equips us. That he doesn't have this divine purpose for you and this plan and start revealing it to you and then not provide the resources or the gifts or the talents or the, the, the things you need to get it done. He equips you with everything you're going to need to do his will for you and live out his plan. He empowers us. The end of verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, by the Spirit, by His power, He empowers us to be leaders, to conquer bad habits, to put away the evil deeds if we do it through Him. We find that through this chapter, that in this new life, that we no longer have the responsibility for success. It is not on your shoulders to live good enough. To be good enough to get into heaven. He gives us these things in one chapter through all the New Testament. He gives us these warnings. He gives us these warnings, right? It's all through here. We have an obligation to, to walk by the Spirit. He gives us direction to do these things. Live righteous. Put away bad deeds. But he doesn't give us responsibility for salvation. He completes what we cannot do. That's the best kind of manager, right? Just, they're, they're speaking into you. They're teaching you. They're training you. They're equipping you. They're giving you this grand vision for your life and where you're going and what you're going to do. They give you everything you need to do it. And when you get to a point that you can't do anymore but you've been faithful they finish the job. He finishes the job. We have a responsibility to show outwardly what has happened inside of us. And it's what he has so freely given to be faithful. Not perfect. <laughs> You'll never be perfect. but purposeful. We find in these last few verses, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba Father Amen. 
while the New Testament is full of warnings to watch out for Satan, to watch out for ourselves, to put on our spiritual it's full of warnings. It's also full of comforts. Comfort that lead that sounds strongly in the fact that if he began a good work, he will finish it. A comfort that when we face all kinds of trials, that his love will never be separated for us. That if we are true and genuine believers, that we will persevere with his help until the end. He tells us the warning, you don't persevere, you don't make it to the end with faith and good works, you're not going to get into heaven. At the same time, he gives us the comfort and said, I'm going to help you persevere, and I'm going to preserve you and help make sure you get into heaven. Those two things are there. I don't understand it. But it, I can know what, God, what you're telling me to do out of that is to follow you as close as I can, to draw as close to you as I can, to be hungry for you, to put away the bad deeds, to, to be hungry for your spirit to be closer than it's ever been, to lean upon you for my salvation and not myself, to trust you, to follow you. And we find this sonship, this adoption, this word Abba, this was the most caring way that in the Jewish culture they could respond to their dad. It would maybe be like us saying, Daddy, Abba, Father. Then in this new life, we have a new family, we have a new father, we're new heirs. You know, we may not be ready to inherit anything on this earth. But we become part of this spiritual kingdom. All right, that, that is called the church. And every unique believer gets a gift, gets talents, gets a call that is part of a work that's not about me, it's not about you. It is about Jesus Christ. It's about loving our neighbor. It's about taking this light that God has put inside of us to a dark world. I want to share just a... Uh, I mean, there's, I don't know if you've had times in your life where you've felt the Holy Spirit so strong. I mean, just so strong that in that moment, you, you felt this assurance that this is, this is God. I am saved. He loves me. He cares for me I don't know if you've had those moments in chapter 8 verse 16 it says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children tells me that there's some level of awareness that inside of us we can know when the spirit is present when we are living right and we're drawn close to him uh, there have been these times and moments to me where where God's just put things in my heart that I absolutely know we're from him. I can remember the moment, and I've shared some of these with you before. I'm going to share a couple. I can remember the moment standing in the trailer Bethany and I were renting when I was, had by all rights, no potential and no credentials. 
And feeling this, just I was reading my Bible, and uh, I'd been really distant from God for some time. And I just decided to start opening my Bible back up. And I remember looking at Beth. She was staying in the kitchen, which is basically in the living room. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be a pastor. Didn't make a bit of sense. Not one bit of sense. And she said, okay. <laughs> and we just went on. Did that happen that year? No. We've been married 15 years. We've been married 10 years before I started pastoring. But I felt, I mean, like, all through that time, I was thinking at some point, at some time, at some place, God, I know this is a work you have for me. I remember early on in our church when I was driving into town and most times when I feel that presence of the spirit in my life a lot of times I'm in the car by myself or I'm here at the church by myself and I feel that presence I remember coming down coming down the the exit right here over the Walter May Bridge and God's feeling just in my heart that says I had said so many times in my work at SOAR that Pikeville was the heart of eastern Kentucky and God said I want to be the heart of Eastern Kentucky. I want to be in the heart. And I was thinking, the, so downtown, I was thinking, it just, it was speaking to me that this, not this building, but Main Street, where else would God want to be in, his, in our life and our daily activities at, at our core? And I remember thinking, I've looked at all the buildings. Uh, you, okay, just we're gonna plug along, and if uh, just if that's where you'll have us, we'll be there. I don't know how it's gonna happen, and here we sit. Times I've been so overwhelmed, I've just prayed and cried, and not even words coming out, just surrender. And then this one experience we had early on at the church, and I say, we, my wife is in this with me. She's the one that when I said I'm going to pastor, and everybody else would have said, good luck, whatever. She said, okay. Because she says she saw potential in me the first time she saw me. She was the only one. I think my parents had given up. Uh, I mean, I, I was two years into college with 13 credits. But we've been pastoring. I'd been, I was working full time. We had, we had a kid. We had a lot on our plate. I remember early on in the church, I was pastoring Sunday to Sunday. And I asked her if I could share this. And she doesn't like, she could probably tell this story way better than I can. She's an amazing teacher. But we were both struggling. And I say, you know, Sunday to Sunday, I was pastoring. Even though I knew at one point, I'd, 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 at a church all by myself, I'd said, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. That was a moment for me at an altar where I said, I just got my MBA. I got all this business stuff going on, but I will leave it all. I'll walk away. That was 10 years ago. 
and God took me a different direction and eventually brought me into pastor and church. It all came full circle, and now I'm here. But in the middle of that, early on in this church, I was struggling week to week. I was thinking, this, I can't, I can't do it. And I remember telling God, not now, not now. You all remember the story that we're here with us? I kept saying, we've got to find a pastor. And, um, and, and so this one Sunday morning, Tommy Chamberlain came. You all know Tommy Chamberlain. He had those artifacts uh, the ancient artifacts from Bible times, and he came and taught this lesson. And, um, and, uh, and, and after it was over, he gave Bethany a, a, a sh- one of the shards and, of pottery, and I got a shard of pottery you know, from Bible times. We were, uh, everything was over, and he was packing up, and Bethany had walked out in the lobby. And um, she said she walked out in the lobby all by herself, and she said she was standing there, and just something overwhelmed her, and a word came out. All right? A word came out, and, uh, and I can't remember if she told me right then or if it was after later on in the week. But this is a screenshot of her phone that morning where she looked this word up, not the coupons gallery, not Amazon, but in between. It says, what does Kalo mean? This was on her phone. This is a word that came out, Kalos. I grew up in a free will Baptist church where nobody spoke in tongues. Where we didn't necessarily believe that people didn't speak in tongues. You know, it was always the, you know, if, there's a, if, if someone speaks in tongues, there should be an interpreter. In other, in other words, they really nobody ever spoke in tongues in our church. Scared of speaking in tongues. Not understanding speaking in tongues. And here my wife says, I just said this word, I don't know what it is. And then she gets to her women's Bible study on Wednesday night, okay? She gets to her women's Bible study on that same Wednesday night. And, and, and she starts looking, she turns to this page. I want you to just hold on for a minute. She gets to this page. And first of all, look at the top, the first word, faith life, was part of the lesson that night. But right here, she gets this page, she looks down, and she's like, in the middle of the fight, in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of wanting to quit. She walked out and God, the Holy Spirit, had her speak a word. Kalo. For a reminder and encouragement, yes, you will fight. The spiritual the, the Christian life is a fight. It is a struggle. It is a battle. But it is kalos. It is good. It is beautiful. It was an experience for me that said, this is real. Okay. This is not just a club. This is not another rotary. This is not a book club where we're studying a book. This is a connection to our maker. Uh, 
don't know. Uh, this morning, I want you to see the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. I want you to see it in your life. Is it obvious someone has moved in? Is it obvious that you are under new management? That the Spirit has taken control and is leading you, guiding you, equipping you, inspiring Are you living in fear still? Are you still living in slavery to fear? Or are you living in this sonship and this family of God of confidence? Because you've got this relationship that is witnessing, that is speaking the Holy Spirit to your spirit saying, You're mine. This morning, you may have never professed Christ. You may not be saved. You, you, they say, you've spent a long time talking about nothing I have anything to do with. You say, how do you get that? How do you get the Holy Spirit inside of you? It is so simple. You believe on Jesus Christ. You believe in your heart. You profess with your mouth. You have faith. And then by grace, you're saved. I'm going to play this song that says, We are no longer a slave to fear. It was written based on this, these verses in Romans chapter 8 that says, We are a sonship. We're no longer a slave to fear. This morning, if you are struggling, maybe, you, you, maybe, maybe you've been on the outside, been practicing Christianity. You've had the religion. But you say, I don't know that I've had that presence and that relationship. I've never spoken in tongues. I don't believe you have to speak in tongues to prove that you're saved. I don't believe, I believe what Paul said, that, that, that speaking in tongues... Uh, he said, this is not one. If you're going to want one, uh, you should want prophecy and teaching as a gift. I'm not saying that, that. That I'm just saying there is a relationship, a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit that I cannot teach you. That requires a surrender. And this morning I invite you. You sang the song with us earlier. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Let that be our hearts today.